Hey folks, it's Tuesday night and you've got a pose in the matrix. What do you think about that, huh? So far so good. Thumbs up. Uh, we ran into a little trouble last week. <clears throat> I'll explain that later, but tonight <clears throat> we're going to be talking about um, the uprising in Europe. Uh, people are really ticked off about this whole uh, World Economic Forum and what they want to implement and force upon us and everything else. They're ticked off about the shots that were forced and it was never explained. And I'm beginning to wonder if Europe is going to take the place to the United States when it comes to uh, protesting and uh, maybe getting some results. So... <clears throat> Stay with us, folks, and uh, we're going to go into this as soon as we introduce ourselves here. By the way, we have a new introduction, um, so you'll get to see that, and we're trying to revamp things up a little bit here. So I figure Red State should have a, you know, Red State, Red Pill, should have red in its theme, not blue. Okay, here we go. Well, that's a little more snazzy, don't you think? Uh, I apologize. I haven't had time to get the um, the uh, the rumble window going. So uh, I will tell you that, however, if you uh, wanted to get on there and, and fellowship back and forth with people, uh, that would be wonderful. Now, that's been happening the last couple of shows. And it uh, just goes to show you that like minds are... <laughs> are part of our audience you know again pardon my cold i got another cold going on seem to be um i'm like the cold central of uh oregon or something so uh, from time to time i'll be muting and doing that so i'm not rude into the microphone so um folks uh, where did this all start <laughs> If you're if you were born in 2000 and later, then you weren't around for when all this junk was starting to happen. Um, uh, up here in Oregon, uh, to made the main uh, industry for many many years, decades, maybe even a couple of, or a century and a half, has been lumber, timber. And the leftists and environmentalists came in and destroyed that as far as they could. Um, now, here in Oregon, when they strip a field, when they uh, clear cut. They have two years to replant, okay, and they always do it. They're monitored. They're fined if they don't do it. So um, uh, when we lived in our other house up in Crawfordsville, you know, they came. We had a beautiful picture of a mountain behind us, and they came and cut half of it down, much to my chagrin because it ruined my view. But within about a year and a half, we saw that they replanted it, and by the time we moved away, it was really it was starting to come up. You could actually see little trees and saplings up there. And that was quite far away, too. It was a couple of miles, probably, to the top of that ridge. And um, so, anyway, uh, they, they've had a law in place for many, many years to, re, to reforest when they cut it down. And, um, oh, I, probably back in the 1980s, I think, there's this whole uh, hoop de doo about um, the spotted owl. Ooh, the spotted owl. Ooh, I better start streaming on Telegram or I'm going to get in trouble. Um, yeah, the spotted owl was a, a big concern in, um, <clears throat> in, uh, in Oregon here. And, um, just like everything else, you know, it's, yeah, but, you know, an animal 
that has wings and it could fly to another tree or another part of the forest is not as much a concern as something that's a ground dweller and could get trampled on or, or die when a tree falls on it or something like that. And um, I remember uh, where we used to live, we uh, they had it to where um, um, they had something, uh, a place called... Um, I can't remember the Cedar Shack, I think it was called. And it had a place called the Spotted Owl Burger. That's how much it upset people around here. And um, so it really cut back on the timber industry and basically, you know, didn't quite drive the last nail in. I don't think that's happened yet, but um, it's, it ruined it for a lot of people. A lot of people got laid off, the mills closed down and everything else. So, um, But this stuff all started in the 80s and maybe even in the 70s. I would say more in the 70s, yeah, when the hippies got tired of protesting and they needed another cause, they all got together and became environmentalists, and that's been going on ever since, okay? Um, <clears throat> and I've lived it here, <laughs> here and in California, both. Do you know in California, if you want to get your car registered, you have to get it smogged? And if it's a new car, you can go for four years without getting it smogged, I think four or five However, after that, every other year, you have to go in for a smog inspection. If you have an older car, you sweat it every other year when you have to go in for a smog inspection. Gee, will it pass inspection? What happens if it doesn't pass inspection? Well, it got so stupid that the state of California, stupid and the state of California kind of go together, decided to put together a fund where if your car didn't pass, they would fix your car. All right, they would give you a loan to fix your car, and of course, they're they're going to collect interest on the loan. But anyway, as time went on, um, I got out of there about 12 years ago, I guess now, and um, excuse me. So I got out of there, and um, but I've heard what they do now is they when they register your car, they register it for the value of the car. So if you go get an 80 or 90 thousand dollar car down in California, um, the emissions and everything else. Um, could run you every year just the registration could run you two three thousand dollars a year for registration that's more than property tax down in California in a lot of instances um, it's, uh, and it's all in the name of the environment okay and um, and oh of course yeah when you go to get your smog your car smog you don't it doesn't get done for free I think it's like 25 or 30 dollars to get your car smog and then they send a, the report and and some of the money to the to the state so it's uh it's a racket it really is only democrats could figure out a way to take something that harms the people in such a way and capitalize from it right okay so anyway as the years went on 1980s 1990s um a lot of work projects were canceled. I remember down in California. Um, now, I'm not big on chemical plants anymore, but back then I was because I was a construction worker and I wanted to work. Um, but um, way out in the Delta, Dow Chemical was going to put a plant out there. Now, I'm no fan of Dow Chemical, okay? But that back then I didn't know any better. And it was, it was going to keep us working three or four, maybe five years building that place. Everybody would have prospered, except the little mouse that lived out in the Delta, um, whose life was in danger if they built the plant. If you've ever been to the California Delta in the Bay Area, it is a gigantic place. 
hundreds, if not thousands of square miles of <clears throat> of waterways and everything else. And one little plant that would take up maybe 20, 30 acres. Oh, let's, let's just say 100 acres, okay? Is nothing in comparison to what's going on. But then the government and their stupidity decide that they're not going to, they're, they're going to, let's see, what did they do? Oh, yeah, um, the Delta... Somewhere in the Delta, you change from freshwater to brackish water to seawater, basically. And um, so what was happening is um, they have these fish there called the smelt. And no, no joke here. Um, and uh, so the smelt were in danger because they were pumping too much water and sending it to Los Angeles. So they had to figure out ways to connive to get more money or more water to send to Los Angeles. So they, they left the Delta alone, and then they, you could drive all the way up the Owens Valley, all the way up Highway 395, past um, Mono Lake. I know a lot of you don't know what I'm talking about. We're talking a couple, couple 300 miles here. You could drive all the way up there, and if you go on the side roads and go try to go fishing in one of the creeks or rivers, it's closed, owned by the state of the city of Los Angeles, okay? So... Oh, don't get me started. I should have never started on this subject tonight because I'm going to get hot and bothered. But anyway, um, so environmentalists, and, and, and they've killed people too. You know, they, they put spikes in trees, okay? So the guy comes along with his saw, his, his chainsaw, and some of those chainsaws are humongous. They're really beautiful pieces of art. Um, and he starts cutting into the tree, runs into spikes, and it messes up. It usually breaks the chain, and a lot of time it injures the logger. Now that's purposeful, um, purposeful injury. Okay, that's not a mistake. That's doing that so you know you're going to hurt that person. What does it do to the tree? You're driving stakes into the stinking tree, right? Okay. And another thing they were doing is they were throwing these um, something that's akin to um, little spikes. Um, actually, they're they're pretty big. They they sit up on their own and you throw them out in the road and. Um, Anything that drives over them, I'm talking, you know, big dump trucks, uh, logging trucks, my goodness. Um, if I would have known ahead of time, I would have bought stock and tire companies just so that, because, um, you know, logging trucks were getting spiked all the time. And, um, and when that didn't work, they started setting the forest on fire. They did that uh, about four or five years ago. And, um, you know, they have these freakazoids, you know. Oh, I know how to take care of the problem. I'll just set the forest on fire. Well, yeah. So the thing you're trying to save, you're destroying. That's that's retard theology, or retard philosophy, I should say. Um, and pardon me, I know people don't like that word, but it just means slow down or backward. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so um, anyway, the, these environmental nuts, and that's what they are. They like to. They like to just make people's lives hard. And like I said, it started in a, definitely the 70s. Uh, toward the end of the 70s, we started hearing about this stuff, Greenpeace and Save the Whales and um, and things like that. And don't get me wrong. I love whales. I want them to be saved, okay? I don't think the Japanese should be fishing our waters trying to catch whales, okay? So implement that rule first. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't throw the whale out with the seawater. Um but, um, oh, where am I going with this, folks? I'm getting all worked up. Um, 
yeah, so you had the save the whales, and then it was save this, save the, save the spotted owl. Um, you know, everything but save babies or save humanity, okay? No, no, no. Babies are expendable. You can kill those all you want because, according to some people with degrees hanging on their walls, babies are not alive when they're in the womb. They're not a viable mass. And like I tell women who tell me they're not a viable mass, I said, let's hop on a plane. I'll fly you up to the North Pole. You'll get out naked, walk around, and we'll see if you're a viable mass. Anyway, golly, sorry, folks. (laughs) I just, stupidity bothers me. It always has and it always will, okay? And um, so anyway, we got the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. Well, in the 90s, um, some people started to wake up and saw that this environmental thing, actually in the 80s they did too, but nobody listened to those people. But the people in the 90s, um, some of them were, were highly uh, degreed people, and they started to wake up and say, no, this isn't, they're not doing this for the environment. They're doing it for socialism, and to they're using the environment as a catalyst, so to speak. But they're, and, and global warming is another one. In order to try to take the rights away from the people here in the United States and in Europe, I'm not forgetting you European folks. I love you over there. Heck, I'm mostly European in heritage. I am all European in heritage. Um, now, don't hate me for that. And all lives matter. Okay. So, um, yeah, people are people starting to understand. Now, people in Europe, like I said, are really bothered about this. They're seeing they were duped. Okay. And the one people, especially Germans, you don't want to, you don't want to piss off Germans, okay, or Italians, or um, or the French, because the French could just take you down in a minute, um, even if it's just their arrogance, they can do it. But um, and you don't want to piss off the Irish, okay. Um, anyway. Uh, so that's where we stand. And, and back in the 90s, there was a couple of meetings that people got together. And I want to present you a couple of clips. One of them is pretty short. The other one's a little longer. Um, but I will cut it off at a certain point because I don't want to spend a whole hour watching the video. Okay. Also, I'm going to present to you a young lady living in England. I believe it's England. Um, she's got an English accent. Let's just go that way. So, and she is ticked off. Uh, she's 12 years old, and she basically is telling Klaus Schwab in these videos, "Go take a hike," in in nice terms here. And um, that there, she's not going to let them have control of her, her body, her mind, or anything else. And I really like this young lady. I really do. And I think that if we could have half of the unction that she has. Each one of us, we would just take this world by storm. Um, another one, we're going to, uh, Dr. What, Dr. General, retired General Mom Flynn, um, starts talking about some of this stuff too. Okay. And also, the Feast of the Resistance, and I hope I said that right. You French will correct me, I'm sure, um, is a meeting of the European Union, a, a certain aspect of it. I don't understand that whole political system over there, but I, I do a little bit. Anyway, um, and uh, there's different people that are asking the um, the uh, uh, leaders or the spokesmen for Pfizer and Moderna and, and um, I can't think of the one. Uh, anyway, it's not important. You'll see. 
and asking them questions and not getting direct answers. Now, I think I've, I've uploaded the abbreviated version of that, okay? So you may not see all of the hubbub that went on to, to reduce the anger that this German woman has on here. And like I said, it's not a good idea to tick off German people, okay? Uh, people that tried that last century uh, learned their lesson twice, unfortunately, uh, although they taught a lesson to the Germans, but um, still... There are people that you just don't want to mess with, okay? Um, anyway, so I'd like to start with those two. Okay, the first one is Dr. Henry Lamb talking about wetlands, and the other one is, um, it's called Echo Fraud, and uh, you'll, you'll see. It's, it's really good. Um, by the way, down in California, before they went to digital television, we used to have these public stations uh, all around and you could go speak on them. And it was really neat, actually, to watch people do that. And um, so the second video I'm going to show you is actually one of those programs. Uh, they're people that you're not going to notice, I don't think, or know who they are. Uh, but they're talking about it. And one guy is really exposing a lot of stuff. So, okay, so let's watch Henry Lamb first, okay? And then we'll go from there. Now, last time I ran, uh, the last time I did a show here... Um, I don't know what the heck happened, folks, but after I showed a video, all of a sudden, it was toward the end of the video, uh, the whole program, uh, but the, the video freezed up, and hence everything freezed up, and so you could neither, you could see me, but you couldn't hear me, okay? Um, and so it's dead air for like the last 10 minutes of the show. If that happens again, I will try to fix it. If I can't, um, adios, okay? <laughs> Um, I have run a live wire from the modem right to my computer so that we get rid of all the any junk that might come up from um, uh, signal strength or signal um, interruption upon the Wi-Fi. So hopefully it takes care of the problem and I can string that up to where we won't have problems that way ever again. So here we go. We're going to watch Henry Lamb and see what he has to say. Very revealing, folks. Where do you see this? Another treaty was introduced called the Convention on Biological Diversity. George Bush refused to sign that treaty, but Bill Clinton signed it shortly after he was elected and sent it to the Senate for ratification. It is that convention that I want to talk about first, because it is, well, both of them are scary. The Convention on Biological Diversity is 16 pages long, very bland, extremely vague, a list of principles that's as sweet as motherhood and apple pie. It says, for example, in Article 8, that every member nation shall, as far as is appropriate, create a system of protected areas. Now, who in the world can argue with that? Sounds, you know, Hey, we've got national parks. We've got a hundred million acres of wilderness already set aside. National parks all over everywhere. National monuments that are new in Utah right now. We have actually 12% of the land area of the United States is already protected through the system of, of wildlife refuges and national parks. So how can you fault a treaty that says we're going to create a system of protected areas. We already have it. However, Article 25 says 
that there shall be created a, a conference of the parties. And that conference of the parties shall create a subsidiary body that will produce a global biodiversity assessment. Now, the conference of the parties held its first meeting in Nassau last December. At that first meeting, the United Nations Environment Program presented them with a global biodiversity assessment. <laughs> My God, that's big. <laughs> Started in 1992 with a grant from the Global Environment Facility for $3.3 million, orchestrated and coordinated by the World Resources Institute and the World Wildlife Fund and the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. This is 1140 pages that explains how to implement the 16-page treaty on biodiversity. <laughs> the last 200 pages, section 13, deals specifically with a system of protected areas. It defines what a system of protected areas is. It includes core wilderness areas surrounded by buffer zones similar to those used in the biosphere reserves created under a UNESCO program and promoted by the United States Man and the Biosphere Program, there are 382 biosphere reserves around the world, 47 of which are in the United States, not under authority of any treaty, but by voluntary agreement with the United Nations. These biosphere reserves are to be the nucleus for the core wilderness areas. Scratching my head here, what on earth is going on? And then I stumbled on page 993, and friends, if you don't think that's some heavy reading at night. <laughs> page 993, after describing these protected areas, sums it all up by saying the recently published Wildlands Project in the United States is the central theme of protected areas. Now, what do you know about that? How many of you know about the Wildlands Project? Here it is. It was published in 1992 by an organization called the Cenozoic Society in its newsletter called Wild Earth. Dave Foreman happens to be the chairman of the board of the Cenozoic Society. How many of you know who Dave Foreman is? Dave Foreman is the originator, founder of Earth First. Earth First is perhaps the most militant eco-terrorist organization in the world. He left and created the Cenozoic Society. Then he created the Wildlands Project. He recruited a scientist named Dr. Reed F. as in Frank Noss, N-O-S-S, who wrote the Wildlands Project under grants from the Nature Conservancy and the Audubon Society 
says so in the book. And on page 15 of the Wildlands Project, Dr. Reed Noss says that we must convert at least 50% of the land area of North America to wilderness, off limits to human beings. Those core wilderness areas are to be interconnected by wilderness corridors off limits to human beings. Those wilderness areas are to be surrounded by buffer zones that may have limited resource use under the supervision and permitting of the federal government in collaboration with non-government organizations. Human population is to be resettled into the remaining 25% of the land into communities that are described as sustainable communities. Ooh, sustainable communities, folks. Did you hear that? How often have you heard that lately coming out of the mouth of uh, the big, fat, unjolly man, um, Klaus Schwab? Huh? Sustainable, and they're calling them, what, 15-minute cities now or something like that? I'm telling you, it's been planned for a long time, folks. This video from, from back in the 90s, okay? <laughs> um, one thing that's bothersome, and it's been hurt, happening a lot lately, um, I would say in the last 20, 30, 40 years, is that um, my understanding of the Constitution, which goes to show me that this is why this nation is not under this Constitution anymore, but um, the, the um, commercial code. Anyway, is that my understanding is that every, every treaty has to be verified by Congress or the Senate, um, or both. I can't remember which one, but this, I think it's the Senate has to ratify treaties. Okay? But you constantly hear the president signed off on a treaty. Well, I never I never hear that the, the, the Senate has okayed it, has ratified it. I never hear that. And you probably never hear it either because it doesn't happen. Because there's so many people in this country, in the United States of America, and probably in Europe too, that don't know what their constitutions say. Now, I understand that over in Europe, you got a new constitution that's, you know, you're under the, the European Union and stuff like that. But what did your original constitution say? Because to me, those are the ones that are important. Those are the core values of your founding fathers or the founding fathers of your, your uh, former political system in that country, whatever country you're in. Um, but um, here in the States, the... You never hear it anymore. You never hear it anymore. Oh, yeah, the president ratified the... And I'm like, no, the president does not ratify treaties. Senate does. And folks, we need to raise an alarm. We need to raise our voices. I'm so tired of just being a, a person that just says, oh, well, you know, whatever. You know, I can't do it alone, but I think together we could all do it. We could all write to, to Congress to complain about things or even give them credit for doing things okay because they do a few things okay um 
But um, so, but I think if more of us wrote, and I know a lot of you are like, well, what good does it do? They don't listen to us. And um, but you know, you're never gonna know if you don't try. Okay, and I, that's the way I feel about it. You never know if you don't try. So hold on a sec, folks. Okay, thank you for your your patience and that. My nose is just all messed up. Um, anyway, so yeah, that <laughs> when I hear that, and that was Clinton that did that. Okay, and if you want to believe certain reports, the former Clinton. So um, anyway, I don't want to take up too much time talking. I just wanted to bring up that one point, and. Um, <clears throat> And the fact that he talks about sustainable cities. So Klaus Schwab is not the one that originally came out with that. It was the United Nations. But he might have been working with them. I don't know. I, I don't like to delve into evil people too much and find out about them. Although he he does interest me. I think he's the, um, the Hitler of the 21st century. He's going to make Hitler look like a choir boy, actually. I do believe. But because he's going to be in control of the whole world, not just... Um, not just Germany this time, and not just parts of Europe either, but all of Europe, all of the seven continents, yeah, even Antarctica. Well, the Germans have been in Antarctica since 19, what, 42, 43? So, anyway, um, I digress, so let me move along. <clears throat> Pardon me. Okay. So let's look at this other video. There's going to be um, probably about a, a minute-long intro. Um, so bear with that, okay? I, the way things are set up here with this program, I can't get in and move it along. So um, it's it's a fault or a, a problem with EV Mux that needs to be fixed. So I need to write to them about that too. So anyway, here, let's go and um, probably pay about 20, 25 minutes of it, okay? And then um, you'll kind of get an idea where it's going. Then we'll move on to the um, the people that are taking action. We're, we're going to finish up this video uh, in a section of what caused the problems or how long they've been going. And, and remember, folks, it always started with environmentalism. But the crux of the problem has been world control okay here we go hopefully Arizona. This is On Target. I'm newspaper columnist Tom Strawn, published each Friday on the editorial page of the Prescott Daily Courier. This is the 161st edition of On Target. Page one for this week. Terms like biodiversity and eco-fraud mean very little to most of our citizens unless they make their living from the land. If they are involved in farming, ranching, mining, fishing, real estate, and land development industries, or outdoor recreation, or the wood products industry, they are aware of these terms. 
Everyone, every industry, and our economy is related to our natural resources in one way or another. Very few of our citizens realize that government bureaucrats, in league with radical environmental activists, are ignoring our U.S. Constitution. Our government has placed the United Nations with its global environmental plan in the position of eliminating our individual property rights, our use of our public lands, and our freedom and independence. The United Nations and an elite group of international manipulators are actually usurping our property rights by passing uh, our Constitution and the principles handed down from our founding forefathers. In the last half of this century, our children have been indoctrinated with questionable environmental theories. Here on Target, I have stated many times that our country has become a pagan nation. And one example of our separation from the God of our founding forefathers and from common sense reality is New Age environmental religion. It is the most destructive force at work in the radical environmental movement conducting eco-fraud supporting the UN and its worldwide biodiversity programs. Over the past three years, here on Target, I have discussed constitutional property rights and environmental fraud many times with leaders of property rights organizations, scientists, elected officials, and authors of numerous books on the subject. These books are only a few that have been reviewed here on Target. This week, my guest is Dr. Michael Kaufman, an environmental consultant and researcher in ecology and ecosystems analysis. He is the author of this very excellent book, Saviors of the Earth, The Politics and Religion of the Environmental Movement. Well, after these messages that make On Target possible, I will return to talk with Dr. Michael Kaufman. You stay on target. Brief... Uh Brief uh, interlude, folks, before they go back in, so maybe I'll just talk. Man, there's a humming noise that is really annoying, and I hope that um, you guys will put up with it. I'll try to remove it. The subject of uh, On Target this Sunday is biodiversity and eco-fraud versus property rights and our U.S. Constitution. And my guest is Dr. Michael Kaufman. Michael, welcome to On Target. Well, thank you for inviting me. Well, let's get On Target, Michael. Um, First of all, I want to talk a little bit about your background and how you happen to be in Arizona right now. But uh, uh, I, what I found was interesting that uh, uh, you're a graduate of Northern Arizona University in forestry right here. That is correct. Right and I, that is correct, and I really enjoyed it for the four or five years I was here in Arizona. I wish I had had the opportunity of coming back and living some more here. Well, my son-in-law graduated from the same school in forestry also, and uh, he's a Forest Service supervisor up in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, we've got something in common there. Um, you have a B.S. in forestry and an M.S. in biology and uh, from uh, NAU, and your Ph.D. In, in forest science from the University of Idaho. Now, you're president of the Environmental Perspectives, Inc. What is that? Environmental Perspectives, Inc. is an organization whose primary mission is to help organizations, individual people, companies, 
understand what's happening within the environmental community or the environmental uh, issues in a way that avoids the huge agenda behind what's the environmental movement, but yet still be sensitive to what all of us want, clean air, clean water, uh, good, healthy environments. Now, you're also involved in, uh, I'm not sure if this is a new organization or not, but Sovereignty International. I've been hearing That's correct. about it. Sovereignty International is a relatively new organization. It's a 501c3, a not-for-profit organization in which we uh, attempt to bring together the divergent groups right across the board from issues such as the rights of the child to environmental issues like we'll be talking about today that are being advanced by what we call the international agenda or the global agenda to advance government up to a global level because what we're very close to that right now. What we've been hearing is was called the New World Order and now they seem to be playing that down. Yes. Now it's a global agenda, global environment and uh, so forth. Uh, Michael, um, how did you happen to get into this particular area? Uh, uh, writing about uh, what you have and the saviors of the earth and going public, you might say. Well, one of the things that I was responsible for in the late 1980s, or 90s, I mean, is is working on a multi-million dollar research effort on issues such as acid rain and global climate change on our nation's forests. And during the Clean Air Act debates in 1990, uh, it became very obvious to me that about a half billion dollars worth of research was being totally ignored in this process of formulating this legislation that was going to impose on the American people not only a 60 plus billion dollar a year program that the science said really wasn't necessary we had a problem in acid rain uh, but it was one of those things that it could be handled at almost no cost to the American people instead we had these draconian policies being developed that was going to seriously erode our, our liberties and our fundamental rights uh, in order to bring more power to the federal government and it, it was at that point that I began to realize there was something more involved in the environmental movement than just protecting the environment and as I studied the issue I went into a state of shock as I realized that there is a huge agenda behind the environmental movement that has nothing to do with protecting the environment but everything to do with liberating us of our civil rights and putting us under a totalitarian type of governmental structure that will in essence eventually uh, cause the loss of our civil liberties. Michael, you've been uh, you've been in Arizona here. In fact, uh, I believe I'm correct in saying uh, you actually live in Bangor, Maine. So That's correct. I think uh, you're probably one of my uh, most distant guests to come up here on this show uh, in the three years we've been doing it. But um, uh, you're in a, you've been in Arizona and uh, you've been making some public appearances. And the subject uh, of uh, your talks was eco fraud. Mm-hmm. Now, as I said. In my opening remarks, words like biodiversity and eco-fraud uh, mean very little to the average citizens. I, I was sharing with you off camera that I did a survey uh, a while back of 100 people uh, down on the courthouse square in Prescott, and only two had any idea, any concept at all, what either one of those terms meant. So for our TV audience, would you explain, first of all, what eco-fraud is? Eco-fraud is a process by which many of the environmental leadership, and my, our discussions today are going to be confined to environmental leadership, not the rank-and-file environmentalists that wants clean yes. air, clean water, same as you and I. 
but a process by which they are using to scare each and every one of the American citizens to death so that they would be willing to give up their civil liberties, their property rights, their, their ability for First Amendment free speech, even in the whole gun control issue, so that they can establish the so-called one world order, or the, the whatever you want to call it, uh, it goes under a number of different names. Yes. And folks, we're within three years of this happening right now. There is a plan right out there, and there's a person in the United nations responsible for implementing this plan and the target date is the year 2000. Now is that what we have some of us have read as project 2000? No, the project 2000 really is a much broader type of thing but it all leads to the same conclusion. That kind of relates to education. That relates to education, goals things, 2000 yeah. and so forth. It's the process of dumbing down our citizenry to the point where they're willing to accept whatever message the elitist of this world would have us to know. Uh, without causing them us to have any questions or challenge why they're doing the things that they're doing. And it's all outlined in this book called Our Global Neighborhood that was funded by the United Nations and it's on the, it was written by the Commission on Global Governance and in this they outline the process that by the year 2000 they expect to have a world government in which they are in control. Now I've read this and what was shocking to me and when I've shared this with fellow citizens, they just really do not want to believe it. But what they're saying in here is it, this is going to take away many of our civil liberties. Absolutely. Some of our freedom. Uh, it, it really, if this would go into effect, anyone owning private property could be subject to rules and regulations by not just our government, but the United Nations. Not only that, but all property rights, according yeah. to the Convention on Biological Diversity, which we'll get into a moment from now, that we stopped an hour before the closure vote in 1994 from being ratified. We came that close, gotcha. but that particular treaty has language in it, at least in its supporting documents, that would transfer property rights from us as, mm -hmm. as individuals to what is known as the United Nations Global Environmental Facility yes. and then reallocate those out to us as usufructory rights, which is the old Roman concept that the, that the Caesar owns everything mm -hmm. and then allocates certain rights and privileges out to the governors who then allocate it out to the citizens for farming, forestry, and other activities. When I read this, one of the first things I related to was Karl Marx's 1848 Communist Manifesto. And I believe, if I recall, there was ten things that had to take place, and we've mentioned this on the show several times, there was ten issues that had to take place, like taking all the guns away from mm -hmm. everybody, but one was taking away private property Absolutely. to have the communist or socialist state. The only way that they can totally gain control over citizenry is by taking private property rights mm -hmm. so that the person, the individual, is totally subject yes. or dependent upon the governmental structure for the ability to grow crops which they need or have housing which they need to survive. And that's the importance of property rights that our founders laid down is that as long as we had property rights, the government never could become so strong as to totally rule our lives. And unfortunately, we're rapidly losing those rights that protect us in all of our other civil liberties. As my viewers and the readers of my newspaper columns know, one of the publications that I read on a very regular basis and depend on is The New American, uh, put out by the John Birch Society. And we've got some other publications here, the Washington Times and so forth. But Kerbach in... Uh, 
April of 1996, William Norman Grigg wrote this article in here where he referred to you mm -hmm. quite extensively and what you were doing. Now, before you got into this, you were a scientist in every sense of the word. In every sense of the word. So when we come back, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to get into this. We're going to talk about what you were doing that got you so excited about this environmental movement. Okay. So you stay on target. It's hard to believe, folks, but this guy is really nailing it. This goes back to, like, 1996. He wrote his book in 1994, and there's, I looked on Amazon. We're back, and this is On Target, and we're talking with Dr. Michael Kaufman. Uh, Michael, um, when we broke there, we were starting to talk about what you did as a scientist that got you so excited about all this and that you really went public on it. Well, I've taught in academia for about half my career, for about 25 mm -hmm. years now, going on 30, and another half in the forest products industry or the paper industry for in research and science. And I realized when I was working with the National Council for Air and Stream Improvement on issues such as global warming, global and acid rain, that I could be retired the best scientist in the world and it would be meaningless because none of the good science was being put into policy. Almost all of the policy is being formulated around what I call pseudoscience or just emotional type of science that grabs the attention and the emotion of people, scares them, and then scares them into giving up certain rights and privileges that our Constitution guarantees them. And as I realized that, and the magnitude of what this agenda would do to the American people and put us back into a state of abject poverty, uh, I realized realized that uh, I could no longer be a scientist. I had to become political, which is something I never dreamed in my wildest imaginations I would ever do in my professional career, yes. and begin to try to help one, explain to the American people what really is going on with environmental leadership, and two, begin to frame how we can protect our environment in logical, scientific ways that will be very effective, but without the gloss of our liberties and so forth. I think most of us, we do not stop to realize that everything we wear, that we eat, just about everything we do, our cars and so mm -hmm. forth, in one way or, or another is related to the land, every product. Every product. And, uh, and we are seeing um, our food supply diminished in some areas mm -hmm. because of restrictions on how to use the land. And uh, forestry products is a prime example. The, the mineral industry is having a lot of problems with regulations. And uh, I think we ought to point out that because we're speaking out against some environmentalists, most of us love the land. Yes. We're not going to destroy it. Very few people are going to really uh, abuse it and destroy it. We're really all conservationists, environmentalists at heart. And uh, it, but there has to be some common sense come back into this. There has to be common sense, and the common sense really is framed or framed in our U.S. Constitution and allows the creativity of man to express itself, but at the same time calls for common law, which is the concept that we don't trash yes. our neighbor's land. And if we were just to follow that principle in, in uh, smokestack emissions or water pollution and that sort of thing, 
uh, we could actually clean up our environment probably far more than we are today without the huge cost and burdens associated with the federal programs such as the EPA, Army Corps of Engineers, and so forth, have imposed upon us that are costing us up to, it's been estimated, between $800 billion and $1.6 trillion a year. That's 8000 yes. to, to uh, $16,000 per family. Uh, that's a huge, huge cost uh, here in America. And we could probably cut that in half or three quarters by using a more common law approach that our Constitution is framed around than the command and control approach that has been imposed upon us. Now, you've, you've been speaking out in your tour across the country, uh, these various speaking games, and you've been relating to the United Nations and uh, the New World Order globalists. And I think you have a map of the United States there that maybe you could hold up, and hopefully our, our viewers can see this, but United Nations Heritage and Biosphere Program, World Heritage Sites, and Biosphere Reserves. Now, tell us about that. I, I, I've actually visited some of these places and seen the UN signs mm -hmm. on, on some of our national parks and uh, national forest uh, grounds. Absolutely, and, and there's uh, 47 of these United Nations Biosphere Reserves here in the United States. They occupy most of our national parks, but also a lot of other lands. There are about 53 million acres that are actually tied up in the U.S. Man in the Biosphere Program. It's not a treaty. It was a letter of agreement that was signed in 1970, early 1970s. It was first started in 1968, and for 30 years it was pretty benign. But in uh, 1995, this whole process took a very radical and dangerous turn as the whole purpose for the U.S. Man in the Biosphere Program was to implement now the Convention on Biological Diversity, which we had stopped in the U.S. Senate in 1994 because it would have imposed such horrible restrictions on every American citizen that we would have literally gone back to the Stone Age if we had fulfilled all of the obligations that were outlined in the Convention on Biological Diversity. And yet now this particular program, now that's established, literally shows how each counties, the various counties around these various biosphere reserves across this country uh, will be having eventually very, very stringent uh, regulations imposed upon them that almost create a, uh, or a um, what do I want to say, um, a situation where man can't really live, unless you go back to pre-industrialized types of, of agriculture, forestry, and so forth. Many of the areas that uh, for years that we've been going out and hiking or camping or using in one way or another are now off limits where you see these uh, UN signs. Mm -hmm. That's yes. correct. Yeah. And it's, uh, and Glacier National Park, for instance, they're talking about taking out the going to the Sun Highway. Why? Because it disturbs the natural ecosystems within the heart of the park. And that's being considered for many of our parks because of this program. Now, you'll, be, you'll hear that the United Nations has no direct sovereignty intrusions with this program, and technically it doesn't. But the UNESCO program, if we want to be part of the UNESCO program, we have to adhere to their guidelines. We have to comply. And so, therefore, by default, we are giving our sovereignty to the United Nations, even though in writing it doesn't say we have to. People don't realize, right here in Arizona, just looking at this map, and I have gone out and seen these areas and the signs, the UN signs. For example, uh, up in the uh, Beaver Creek area, just north mm -hmm. of Prescott, 
uh, down in, uh, in, in another area, a large area, many thousands and thousands of acres, uh, making up the Mojave and Colorado uh, River Desert area. And what really flipped me out was about four or five years ago, literally, when I was, uh, went down to the Saguaro National Monument mm -hmm. on an annual trek down there. And here was uh, the Saguaro Organ Pipe Cactus area, uh, fenced off, uh, not just a little area, but, but a vast area along the border, along the Mexican border, with these UN Biosphere Area signs, mm -hmm. no trespassing, keep out, and so forth. And uh, I've been told that there are some other areas that had not even been listed on any of the maps or uh, have been made public information. Right. Yes. And that's very common, and, and it's a tragedy because it gets back to this issue of eco-fraud. When the program of the Man, of, Man in the Biosphere program was started, it was benign. It was a scientific venture, and now it's been turned into a political beast that will have direct impacts on the people who live around it. And had the Convention on Biological Diversity been ratified, this is what we would all have been facing as this kind of severe regulations to protect their vision of what biodiversity should be, which means no use, basically wilderness areas. In fact, the Convention on Biological Diversity would have set aside one half of America into core wilderness areas and uh, interconnecting corridors that would have caused these lands to be literally locked up. And this is the map that we used on the Senate floor in September of 1994. Okay, let's hold that, Michael. Let's take a break here, and we'll come back and put that back up again. Okay. And let's get into that, what is actually taking place in our Congress on these subjects. So you stay on target. What I was saying before, folks, is that his book is available, Saviors of the Earth, Dr. Michael Kaufman on Amazon. There's only two copies remaining. Please don't buy it. We're back, and this is On Target with Dr. Michael Kaufman this Sunday. Michael, you got a map there. Yes. And what this shows in the red, the various red areas that you can see around the nation, is these would be the core wilderness areas that they would propose. And there you can see the corridors uh, that would interconnect them, supposedly allowing wildlife and plant material to interchange their gene pools without a hindrance of man. The interesting thing about it is that this particular process doesn't work. We've done a lot of research over the last 10 years, especially the last five years, that shows us these principles literally don't work scientifically. Animals don't use these corridors for, for the most part. They you will use any type of contiguous vegetation to move from one area to the other. It doesn't have to be these protected areas that uh, have ancient forests or, or whatever you might want to call it if, if it's in the desert ecosystems. And as a consequence, they don't work. And yet here we are with the United Nations program that would set up to one half, one half of the American landscape into these kinds of wilderness reserves. That's the one we used on the Senate floor to stop this treaty. According to that map there, it looks like as much as 50% of Arizona would fall within that. Absolutely. This is what their target is, that 50% of each state, plus or minus, would actually, this is a more recent map that we're developing, showing this, the heartland of America and how the corridor system, reserve and corridor system would look there, and how these particular plans would lock up at least one half of America, and the rest of it would be highly regulated. 
uh, to be able to protect biodiversity when science is showing that this is the worst thing you can do for biodiversity. In fact, biodiversity plummets when you lock it up and throw away the key. The best biodiversity that you find is in areas in which you have good stewardship being practiced and you have the process by which other species that require disturbed sites and so forth can find habitat. Then is when you find your maximum biological diversity. But by locking these areas up and throwing away the key, as they're proposing to do here in these United Nations mandates, uh, you actually will experience a decline in biological diversity. And that's the tragedy of this whole thing. Not only are we being subjected to a process by which we will lose our inalienable rights, but the, the, what they're planning on doing to so-called protect the environment literally doesn't work. Well, Michael, just along that line, for example, right here in Arizona, and I, even though our show uh, here each week relates to national issues, we try to relate specifics to the state. But clear back in May of 1995, there was this book that was put out called An Economic Analysis of critical habitat designation for the Mexican spotted owl, mm -hmm. which everybody's been hearing about. And what this, this report ended up showing, and the environmentalists didn't like it very well because they thought this was going to be strictly in their favor, this showed how many jobs had already been lost in the forest products industry and how many more were going to be lost. And because of uh, Judge uh, Mickey's decision, federal judge in, in a district federal judge in Arizona, uh, for months and months, the forests, for all intents and purposes, were shut down to any kind of logging, any kind of wood cutting. And you having gone to school at NAU, I'm sure even years ago, you were aware, as we are today, there are many areas of our forest, and even some of the Forest Service people have said so, many areas of the national forests in Arizona where I've gone out and I have seen deadfalls and brush back in, in uh, wilderness areas where it's five, six feet high. Yes. The fire danger ex is extremely high. That's exactly right. And that's the problem you get into this is when you lock up these make lands. Sense. It does not make sense. No. The only thing that can protect it is to go back to the old fire regimes that nature and the American Indians used to have on the landscapes around here, which is untenable because you can't control those fires. They'll get into other people's lands. They create air pollution problems and so forth. Or you can have good logging. Now, we can destroy ecosystems. Don't get me wrong. Of course we and can. And we've demonstrated yes. in the past that we have destroyed ecosystems. That's not the key here. The key here is how do you manage our forest that maximizes or optimizes biological diversity and at the same time provides jobs and commodities for our citizens at a very low price. And that's that balance that we should be striving for is the protection and the provision of jobs and commodities at a, at a reasonable price that we should be striving for, not locking up the lands on some mythical idea that by turning it back to nature, nature knows best and she's going to do it, it much better than we can do. Michael, I've seen photos in the Pres taken in the Prescott Basin between the years 1910 and 1920 showing how much grassland there was, how much scrub trees, how many ponderosa pine, and right now in the Prescott Basin I have seen reports here 
that there's from five to ten times as many ponderosa pines today as there was in 1920. Oh, absolutely. And this is true anywhere in the United States that there used to be forests. We find that there are far more forests, far more trees, far more volume. We're only cutting about 60% of the volume growth in this nation right now. These, these statements that we're destroying our forests are just absolutely and patently false. It's not happening in this nation. Now, it could be happening in other parts of the world, and we do need to be sensitive to that issue. But it's not happening in these United States, and in fact, our stewardship practices that have been developed over the last 50 years have shown that we have rapidly and dramatically enhanced biological diversity, and the worst thing we could do is to lock it up and throw away the key. Yes. Michael, uh, I hope that a lot of people will read this, and we're going to talk about this book of your Saviors of the Earth, but as I understand, this is actually about your third book. Yes, that's right. And I think there's probably a lot of people uh, in our viewing area that would like to find out how to uh, get a hold of material of yours that you people have put out. Folks, I'm going to go ahead and end that, the video there because... Um he covered everything I was wanted to wanted him to say. You know, my goodness, it was uh, wow. Common sense, boy, don't you just love common sense, folks? It liberty ringing throughout the land. Common sense, liberty. Common sense. Common sense based thinking, critical thinking. Man, I'm thankful for that video. And uh, they're still doing that radio show or that TV show. I don't know. It's been, what, 30 years? <laughs> I apologize for the noise, folks. Um, until I can get a quieter place to do radio show, it's going to happen from time to time. Um, okay. So what I'd like to do now, I'm kind of working my our way up. You know, I did a little history lesson of my own accord. And... Um, I did a little history lesson here showing you that back in the 1990s all this stuff was starting to coalesce and um, and get worse and worse and worse and uh, but the guy's right you know that we have cleaner air than we had 30 or 40 years ago we've got cleaner water than we had 30 or 40 years ago my goodness I can remember when I was a kid hearing stories about lakes and rivers catching on fire because there was so much junk in it never hear that anymore um, it's, um, I don't know, it's it's like they took the old news and they just kept making the old news worse and worse. Instead of giving credit to people for for doing things that, are, that would help to clean up the environment, you know? And uh, anyway, so um, progressing forward, I want to play a... There's two videos of this young lady, okay? One, she's standing in front of a, looks like a, maybe a court building. Another one, she's standing in front of a store. And I do believe it's in Britain. So we'll do the shorter one first. This is a 12-year-old little girl that gets it, okay? And if 12-year-old little girls can get, get it, then everybody, every adult should be able to get it. If they don't have an agenda. If they don't have a stinking agenda behind them that won't allow them to see the truth and realize the truth. If you see a truth and you call it a lie, then you're a liar yourself. So um, anyway, so let's start with this and then we'll go with the other one. And then um, there are two other videos and that are pretty awesome, too. So it's a video night on imposing a matrix. By the way, as a little uh, commercial, um, 
it's been really hard splitting hairs um trying to figure out what i should broadcast on this channel and what i shouldn't okay i know that a number of you you know would rather maybe not hear um religious stuff you would call it religious stuff okay um I do have to work that in. I'm sorry that if that bothers you, but it's it's the truth. Because <laughs> that's what this whole program is about. But I've been thinking, and it usually gets me in trouble when I do that. But um, perhaps I should start a um, another show that will air on a different night. And that show would be about, um, would stick mostly to scripture, mostly to... Um, current events as they involve scripture and stuff like that um you know the um oh what are you to say things like the bethel church in reading things like um um these this prophet movement that's out there where you know you gotta you gotta acknowledge them before that you could do any do anything in the church and um and and different things and i i've done a few interesting articles one was about the tabernacle um out in the desert and how the tribes used to lined up and if you look at the numbers on each side of the the um the tabernacle and above it and below it, it forms a perfect cross even even amounting or accounting for the two percent difference of the the um the heart being on the left hand side of the chest the the groups on the one side were just a little bit bigger than the groups on the right side so anyway yeah it's it's pretty interesting stuff so i want to be able to do shows like that and not drive the audience away but at the same time i got to be obedient to one person okay so if i break the thing up into two different shows this one being kind of a secular show but at the same time kind of bringing it around to if there's any scripture to bring it around to at the end than doing that and that way it doesn't it, you know because believe me before i was a believer in yeshua if i saw something that said uh so and so is the antichrist or or you know the the rapture is going to happen on this date you know th those are bupkis things anyway but um if i were to do that or see that I would not participate in what they were talking about. However, if they talked about um, the sudden disappearance of people, you know, is it new age? Is it real? Or something like that. A little more palatable to a lot of people. Hold on a sec, folks. Why things are viscous these days. <laughs> um, anyway, so. I'm, I'm mulling that over, and it looks like I'm going to go in that direction. So, folks, if if bringing up a lot of scripture and stuff bothers you, then um, we'll we'll keep with this format. If it doesn't bother you, then you could stay with this format and keep watching, and also listen to the other show that's going to be more biblically based. Okay, I will be using terms like Brit Hadashah for the New Testament, uh, the Tanakh for the Old Testament, Mashiach. I will very rarely be using Jesus. I'll be using Yeshua. Um, I, you know. Anyway, so you know, I'm looking to split hairs in that way, but. Anyway, so just to let you know what the future plans are here, and I hope that you enjoyed our new intro, and and we're going to be working on other stuff too, to make things a little more palatable and pleasing to the eye. Heck, I went out and got a haircut last week. Is that pleasing to the eye? <laughs> Sorry, folks. 
All right, well, let's watch this young lady as she um, basically uh, tells um, Klaus Schwab to go pound salt. I could stand here and say more or less what other people are going to say about the effect of these 15-minute neighborhoods, soon to become digital ID facial recognition zones. Let's say my friend lives in zone 3 and I'm in zone 1. If, for example, I went to my friend's house in zone 3, my parents normally come and pick me up in, it, in their car. It only takes 10 minutes. So does that mean that they would have to go round the ring road and back into town again? If my mum or dad had to drive round the ring road, it would take 30 minutes, causing much more pollution and leaving a much bigger carbon footprint. They will say, you can walk home. Would that be safe for me to walk home? Me as a 12-year-old walking home in the dark alone. Is that really going to be safe? Then they will say, oh, don't worry about that. We've already thought of that. You'll be safe. We will have a thousand cameras on the streets following you and tracking you all the way home. Oh, and just remember, it's for your safety. What? Are you serious? Do you really think I want to be watched every second of the day? Are you serious? Thousands of cameras tracking my every move until I get home. At this point, I have to ask, is my safety that important to me that I want to be followed by cameras all the way home? Or do I prefer to have freedom than privacy? For your information, I still wouldn't feel safe. No amount of cameras is going to stop someone who wants to attack me. I want to be safe, but not to the extent that I am prepared to give up my freedom and my privacy to have it. As a 12-year-old, I am really concerned about my future. And to Klaus Schwab, I say this. How dare you! childhood and my future and the future of all children by enslaving us in your crazy digital surveillance prison we all know where this is leading these are the first steps of a dystopian reality called 15 minute neighborhoods from a small seed a huge tree can grow climate change is being used to control us to nudge us in the direction the greedy people want us to go the truth is that the greedy people want total control over everything we do everything we think and everything we say. Our government has been hijacked by greedy and selfish imposters posing as politicians. They believe they are better than us and masters over us. And until this problem is effectively dealt with, the tyranny will continue. Thank you. What? What an incredible young lady, huh? I know she was reading from a speech, but I got a feeling she wrote that speech herself. She looks like she's smart enough to do something like that. And she brings up such good points. You know, you want to you want me to stay in my own my own area and have my mom and dad drive me to my friend's area. But I can't go through town anymore, so I'd have to take the ring road. So a 10-minute trip turns into a half-hour trip, which is 20 extra minutes of the engine running on her parents' car. And if it's a ring road, it's probably, you know, a high-speed road. Um, so you're burning more gas to, to make up more energy so you can travel faster. Um, it's, it's, it's akin to this, folks. Um, a few, oh, a couple of years ago, maybe three or ah, probably four or five now. I'm thinking about it, maybe six, <laughs> but um, 
there's a, a pro uh, a show excuse me I'll be I'm okay let me regroup here there is a store in in the Oregon area a chain of them called um, uh, market of choice that's what it is and it's a it's a it's a liberal magnet is what it is so liberals love to go to market of choice it's it's their way of um, doing good I guess and feeling healthy and eating organic and stuff like that but um, and I've shopped there before and I gotta admit they got some good stuff there but I was in line one day and um, I wasn't in a particularly good mood <laughs> okay I think I'd just gotten laid off or something. No, no, I was in school at that time. Anyway, uh, so I'm in the market, and they want to uh, – I'm at the cash register, and I got my stuff there, and she's ringing me up, and she says, would you like a bag? Would you like to buy a bag? And back then, they didn't have any more plastic bags. They phased those out, and they just had um, uh, paper bags. So I said, uh, well, here's the deal. I'm not going to buy into this communist plot. And she goes, what do you mean, sir? And oh, boy, I'm glad she asked that question because that opened it up. And I says, well, here's the deal, young lady. I says, back when I was your age, I said, um, we had people running around, the same kind of people that come into the store, telling me that I cannot buy paper bags anymore because we were killing all the trees. Okay. So they made us start buying those little plastic bags that were so annoying to many people. I thought they were great. Um, I mean, I could use one bag like for three weeks to bring lunches to work, you know. But anyway, I digress. So I, um, I said, yeah, so they made us use plastic bags. And I said, but then people got careless and that's what people do. But they started leaving the bags around. They started blowing around. But uh, many people used them various times and then threw them out in a responsible manner yes they go did go into the landfills but after a while you could bring them into to plastic places and stuff anyway i said so he said so i couldn't buy bags because i was killing trees so you make me use plastic and then you realize the plastic's no good and it's okay now to kill a tree if i pay you five cents for a bag so this is why I don't want a bag from you. I'll carry my groceries out in my hand. And you could feel the people behind me seething in anger. You could feel it. There was a vibe coming off of them. That, but, you know, like every good liberal, they don't want to say anything unless they've got you alone. Uh, because they're afraid that more people are like me. <laughs> you know, they're standing in line and stuff. And... Um, and so they're basically cowards. They, they always have been and they always will be. But um, so anyway, you know, that was my, my the, the hypocrisy of all this environmental gobbledygook. You know, it's it's nothing but stupidity, uh, asinine stupidity. You know, it really is. Um, one year, oh, many, many years ago, um, when I lived down in California, I used to live in a town called Vacaville, and I used to like their little paper. It was not too liberal, you know. Uh, a lot of people that wrote in were, but that's the Bay Area, California, right? Uh, or the outside of the Bay Area. Anyway, so this one guy writes in, and... Um, Starts talking about how people should become more environmental friendly and um, how not enough is being done to be environmental friendly. And <laughs> I got a I got a burr under my saddle when I read his whole article because it was meant to get a burr under the saddle of conservatives and 
And so I um, I wrote back to the paper and I said, you know, I says, with all due respect to the person that wrote that article, I says, this whole thing is hypocritical. I said, yeah. I says, you got guys like, um, I think Al Gore was around back then, but, um, you know, all these environmental nuts that are driving Volkswagen Beetles and Volkswagen vans that are gross polluters at very be very best and, and, you know, and basically smog machines at the very worst going to all these events and protesting these hippies and uh, yippies and whatever they were leftists I, I guess is the way to put it now but anyway so they're driving all these polluting vehicles and that's not the only ones they were driving there are other cars uh, that, that got really bad gas mileage and were gross polluters back then and they always seem to gravitate towards those kind of cars and I don't know what that is nowadays it's uh, it's Subarus and uh, Priuses but um, and, and I don't want to offend anybody if you drive one of those cars you know it's, it's something you bought and hey God bless you um, but anyway, and I says, and the other ones, I said, the ones that are well-to-do, they buy a plane fare, and they fly from coast to coast, sometimes overseas, spewing a whole bunch of pollution into the upper atmosphere. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, especially back then, because they were transitioning from turbo, from uh, jet engines into turbojets and, and, and the like, and... Uh, the old jet engines, man, when they would take off, they would leave like a big trail of smoke behind them, kind of like a diesel engine. And, um, and so, you know, they were gross polluters there. And even in planes nowadays, you know, they could tell me that they're clean and whatever, but if it consumes fuel and it's burning fuel uh, as a JP4, which is a very kind of like a highly, um, they may have JP5 now, I don't know, but um, it's a very highly refined diesel fuel. Um, so anyway, <laughs> you know, if you're going to burn something, uh, where there's smoke, there's fire, where there's fire, there's smoke, uh, unless you're burning hydrogen or nitrogen or not nitrogen, hydrogen or something like that, then it's a clean fire, butane or <laughs> methane or whatever. But, um, so don't preach to the rest of us what you want us to believe when you can't even follow the rules yourself. Okay. It, it, here in Oregon, every year. In this inner winter time, countless accidents, countless, um, because what the what the state of Oregon doesn't do, it doesn't believe in for the most part. Maybe there's parts of Oregon that do this, but not Western Oregon. They don't salt the roads. They put this chemical garbage down on it that doesn't really do a lick of good, and and. Um, and even then, they don't do it like on the interstates. Forget it. Nobody does anything to the interstates. They might plow it, but that's it. But then the day comes along, stuff melts, and then it freezes at night. And then you have black ice, you know, <laughs> and nobody salts the black ice. Well, every year, tons and tons of cars get wrecked. I would say thousands, maybe even tens of thousands. I'm not sure. but um, So I suggested one day, why don't they salt the roads? Oh, well, you can't salt the roads because the salt gets into the waterways and it's not good for the fish. And I said, you do realize that when it rains, there's natural salt in the soil, right? And that natural salt leaches out and it does go into the rivers and to the lakes. Sorry, but nature is ruining your lakes, <laughs> your, your streams, if you're going to believe that. And uh, well, yeah, that doesn't make me very popular either, but hey, you got to say what you got to say, right? 
So um, anyway, I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent here, and I'm sorry. So let's listen to this little gal. She It's a little longer speech, and but she's really got the attention of people. And, man, if we could get our young people out there doing stuff like this, get them away from their cell phones, get them away from their tablets, get them away from their video games. My God, video games. What a waste of time. Um, anyway, and if you're a gamer, I'm sorry, but that's just the way I feel, and I have a right to my opinion. Um, but, uh, if we could get away from all the distracting stuff, you know, and, and really get into fighting this thing, we can win, but the time is getting short and we can't trust. Everybody's like, well, when's Trump going to do something? When's Trump going to come in with the army and take over the, the government, take it back from the people that stole it from him and, I'm like, well, what if he doesn't do it? What if it's up to you and me to take care of this problem? You know, or what if by doing it, we show him that we want him to do it? Hey, we're really serious about this, Donald. Let's let's all get together and work on this. You know, I mean, how many gun bearing Americans do we have gun owning Americans here in the United States? You know, what's the reason why the Japanese never invaded the United States mainland is because that um, was the Admiral uh, Yamamoto or Yamato. I can't remember. Um, said that um, he feared that there was a, a, a rifle or a rifle or a bullet behind every blade of grass. Okay, so if it kept the Japanese from attacking it, it's going to suppress. Anyway, I don't want to get into that because it sounds like I'm a warmongering uh, conservative. So anyway, but there are ways to fight this. Okay, and we better start doing something soon or the show's going to disappear. Your freedom's going to disappear. They're going to move you from your house into a 15-minute city where they can keep tracking you, like this little lady said, with cameras everywhere so you can't even... You can't even blink without them knowing that you're that you're doing it, okay? You can't talk because either they're going to hear you or your neighbors are going to rat on you. Because neighbors are really good at that. Um, and you really, you can't even think because they can even judge by the way a person looks when they're thinking what they're what kind of thing they're thinking about in the general area, you know. So anyway, okay, so let's watch this uh, the second video, and then we got two more to go, and then we can wrap up the show. How's that sound? Good. Our self-awareness, our 
wisdom with nanotechnology in order to hack into our bodies and minds. He says the technology will not change anything around us, it will change us. We will no longer be human, we will be something else, a controllable robot for sure. His top advisor, Yuval Noah Harari, has said that they intend to spot a million years of natural human evolution into 10 years by facing the progression of natural selection and inserting chips, injecting us, changing our DNA, implanting devices in our bodies and brains and hooking our minds up to internet clouds. How do they know what evolution will do over the next million years? Okay, I've got it. They've been using Neil Ferguson's computer models. <laughs> Seriously, this man class Rob is completely off his trolley and is a significant threat to all human life. This all began when they got us addicted to mobile phones. If you're like me, I used to put my phone down within 30 seconds I was picking it back up again. And I bet it's less than 30 seconds until you pick yours up again. Next, they will get you addicted to wearables, then implants, then hooked up to a cloud and then they will take your soul. The future is in our hands. The youth and the young adults. If you continue thinking as you are about boyfriends and girlfriends and having a good time of partying and allowing these technologies and the agenda of the World Economic Forum to continue, then you will lose everything. You have been warned. We were born for this moment in history, and it is our job to destroy the, this evil plan and bring about the birth of a new golden age. They intend to create a new digital money system that will give them the ability to take money and even block our accounts whenever they feel like it. We have already seen this being used by the dictator Trudeau against the freedom-loving people of Canada during the Canadian truckers' protest. They are even talking about freezing Russia's accounts. Just think about it. If they want us in the future to be injected with an experimental and emergency use injection and we decline, guess what will happen to our bank accounts? Is this democracy? No. Is this freedom? No. Is this the future that we want? No. I, I can't hear you. Is this the future that we want? Because he is threatening our lives, 
you want to cry doesn't it <laughs> oh man <laughs> we could just have a small group of people like that in every town in america my goodness it would turn the whole world around well, this country anyway but it looks like they're busy doing that in europe while we're just sitting around wondering what we're going to do you know, we're waiting for somebody else to do it for us and i'm not going to have that welfare mentality anymore <laughs> okay let's listen to Ge- uh, former general flynn what he has to say, see, folks, this is all leading up to a crimp in what Klaus Schwab is, is proposing, what he wants to put together and, and is going to try to force to implement or for United States, Europe, and around the world. So um, every time that we fight back, every time that we don't do something that he wants us to do, every time that we spur or um, or get rid of um, or don't deal do business with the corporations that that he supports and that support him and my goodness you should see what some of them are I think I had a um, a list of them and when listening to this next video I'll try to find it maybe I can link it up and we can look at it but my goodness it's like 
you know, you won't buy food anymore from it. You, you'll be buying or growing your own food or, or something else because most of the corporations that, that provide food are in league with him. Um, most energy companies are in league with him, the whole nine yards. And what he does, folks, is he gets these young leaders like Macron in France and uh, who can't decide what age woman that he likes. Um, and then you get uh, Trudeau up in Canada, which is baby basically baby Castro or, or Fidel number two um, and all these young people that he has put through his training and must and turn them into mushmelons um, that he controls so you know it's getting them out of office is the is the the thing that needs to be done in a lot of these countries and even here in the United States because man you want to talk about a den of vipers good golly Okay, so let's listen to um, to Flynn what he has to say, and then we'll go with this German parliament, and then we'll be done. How's that sound? Someone like Vladimir Putin has now upset this this balance of the new world order that they were trying to achieve by by going into Ukraine, and you know, and I'm I'm probably the last person that's going to be a a Putin apologist. I I, I won't be, but I but I, what I do understand. Yeah, are the dynamics that are playing out in Ukraine right now. And uh, I sent you something earlier, Clay, and, and uh, we don't need to go into the details of it, but all of what we are seeing play out in Europe right now is an upsetting of the balance of the world order as they want it, as people like Dr. Harari, as people like Klaus Schwab and others. Bill Gates is another one. So we have to understand that these are people that are very smart, they're very well resourced, yep. and they have a and they have a very sort of strategic idea of how they want to see the world develop. And and God, and uh, and the and uh, and, a, and a soul are not part of that uh, strategy. God and a soul are not part of that strategy. So, what's the opposite of God? Satan. And um, no soul, people with no soul, no heart, no no care about other people, about society, only about their selfishness and what they can accomplish to make themselves look good. And to get some kind of patting on the back and attaboys all the time. Every time they go to a dinner or something, oh, you did so good. You just destroyed a thousand people. Man, you did so good. That's satanic, folks. That's a satanic mindset. All right. So finally, but anyway, let me go back real quick. Uh, so what Flynn is saying that Putin, the reason they don't like Putin, and I did a show about this a few weeks ago, and I think I might have used this clip. I'm not sure. But um, Putin has really upset what they were trying to do. If you watched the show I did on this, I had the, there was this one um, lady or woman, I don't know if she's a lady, um, that, um, as uh, she's a parliamentary in in, um, in Ukraine, and she says we're fighting for Europe. She says we're fighting for this new world order. And I'm like, okay, well, you don't have to go any farther. I know where you're coming from. Goodbye. Um, so she let us know that the Ukrainians are part of the new world order, the one world order. They're they're probably in bed with Klaus Schwab daily. Um, you know, and it's just uh, it's just a mess. So Putin went in there and, and um, invaded Ukraine to get rid of the um, child trafficking, to get rid of the adrenochrome and, uh, the you know, the child torture to get the adrenochrome. Um, 
and and other things too the bio labs what was there 30 bio labs in ukraine oh that wouldn't sit too good here in the states if that happened up in canada then trudeau was not our friend so hey you know take that for what it's worth and you know it's funny i said that a couple of years or about a year ago when this whole thing started and somebody else was using that the other day and i'm like good good i don't own anything let let everybody take anything that i say here and spread it shout it from the mountaintops um anyway um so yeah putin has disrupted things and now um that new prime minister in italy maloney that lady fantastic boy she should all these people should come to the states and run for office here get citizenship and run for office because man we could just turn things around overnight um and then um, I think there's something going on in one of the Scandinavian countries. They're starting to rebel against it. Hungary, Hungarians are, Romanians are. Um, they're just seeing it, folks. They're seeing what's going on, and they're, they're going at it full bore, trying to put an end to it. Can't we in America do the same thing? And, um, man, you got Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who, if he gets elected or even if he's on a campaign trail, has a very good chance of getting popped, assassinated, because he's a Kennedy and he's going against the uh, the establishment of the Democratic Party. They don't like him. So if he, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if something happened to him during his campaign. It wouldn't surprise me at all. But um, anyway, so Klaus Schwab is really hit, licking his wounds. And... Um, and hopefully he'll get lots more wounds um, in the days to come. And I mean wounds by people not listening to him, not doing what he says, spurning, spurning the leaders that he's thrown out into the world in, in all different aspects of society. Um, yeah, if we can get rid of these people and everything, it'd be wonderful. Anyway, um, we've been going for over an hour and a half now. <clears throat> so I want to get to this uh, the German parliament, and uh, this is awesome. Um, and what a declaration she makes, this lady from Germany. It's amazing. So let's watch this. It's, it's awesome. And it's in English. You may have heard uh, things are unfolding rather quickly right now, uh, thanks to uh, our colleague Rob Ross, who raised the question uh, in the COVID committee. And uh, the Pfizer representative uh, yeah, answered in quite a clear way. So we all know now um, that people have been lied to. Uh, it was a gigantic lie. And uh, on this lie, everything that governments, especially in the Western democracies, did uh, to infringe on, on uh, people's rights, to take away their freedom, to uh, lock them uh, in their homes, uh, imposing curfews. All of this was based on that gigantic lie. And um, yeah, I and can only thank my colleagues. Um, we are doing an incredible job in this COVID committee. And uh, we will get to the bottom uh, of things and we will get the answers that the people that you deserve. We will work on that and we will continue to work on that. But, and that is the other message, none of that would have been possible to do if we did not have the massive, enormous support of you, the people.
because you took to the street, you showed your governments that you will not put up with this and you will not stand for this. And for that, I really thank you and I applaud you and I will do so right now. was for you, the people, because we can only do so much if we do not have the support of you, the people. And as you may have heard, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, EU Commission President, is now under a lot of pressure, and rightly so. The people have a right to know what went on in these contracts with her exchange of SMS with C. Pfizer uh, Bourla. The people need to know who they can hold responsible and accountable for whatever may have gone on behind the scenes. So, um, yes, thank you again. It was your support that kept us going and that made all of this possible. And things are changing now. Their house of cards is tumbling down and it is doing so rightfully. And you know what? One more thing though. Um, I am sick and tired of being called a covidiot. <laughs> And I'd much rather be a covidiot than being a guff idiot. Because that's what all these people blindly trust. Because that's what all these people that blindly trusted their governments turned out to be. And I will say it again, it was never, never ever about public health. It was never about breaking any waves. It was always about breaking people. But, and that's the good news, they failed. It didn't work. And that I am very proud of, and I'm proud of the people that I am so honored to be allowed to represent, and I will continue to do just that. Thank you very much. Okay, <laughs> what a good way to end, right? Um, man, to applaud the people for for putting up with all the garbage they put up with and for fighting against things that they didn't necessarily, uh, the government should have been fighting for them in, in this regard, so um, yeah. Powerful words this lady said. Very powerful. I call her a lady because this is what a lady is. Okay. Um, no, uh, let's see. How did I say that a long time ago? All ladies are women, but not all women are ladies. So I, I'm sure the um, delusion resistance uh, women are ladies, though. So thank you for all your support, folks, and for... Um, just standing behind me, your, your prayer support is phenomenal. It really is, and I thank you for that. And for the few that um, donate, thank you for you, thank you for donating. It's um, it's helping. It really is. Um, so I was talking to the Lord yesterday, and I said, you know, here's my vision. <laughs> now I'm going to be 65 in January. So what kind of vision should I have, right? <laughs> um, 
but my vision would be to to get a store front or a store a small store down in cottage grove and and uh you know either to buy it or uh to pay you know 10 years rent on it and not have to worry about that the rest of my life but anyway to set up um the studio in there and um just be able to go at it man you know um something with reliable internet that's reliable all the time and um so anyway that's basically what i was talking to the lord about whether i get that i don't know i'll just you know if i have to I'll just muddle along with what we're doing here you know um but anyway uh if you got any thoughts about that second show i was talking about earlier let me know what they are if uh you know what kind of content you sh i should post in there or um if you think it's a good idea or if you listen to both of them Okay, now coming up in the future, I don't know when in the future here, I'm going to um, have little um, little contests maybe. Um, and I just found a, a bevy of my uh, books that I wrote in 2010. And so <clears throat> I think for the first people that, um, the first people that go to Give, Send, Go and, uh, and pledge, um, God, I sound like a pledge-a-thon. Um, the first people that go to give, send, go, and, and pledge um, uh, $20, okay, uh, or more, okay, I'm not going to limit it to that. Um, let's say 25 because the $5 will, will handle the postage and stuff. So if you do that, then I will send you an autographed copy of the book. You just got to remember to give me your name and address and I'll let you, I'll keep you guys informed as to how many books are left because there's not a whole bunch of them but they're not doing anything any good just sitting in my storage unit right so so let's keep that in mind folks so it's givesendgo.com and um it's uh opposing underscore the underscore matrix and um if you guys would be so kind and if you don't want a book and you just want to donate that'd be great too because you know things are rough for all of us i know you guys too and um but uh, when, when we get through this uh-oh i froze up so i might oh there we go Ooh, i thought we were having a repeat of yesterday or day before um anyway folks uh please consider donating okay i don't want to beat a dead horse and i'm not going to do that i'll only bring it up maybe a couple more times ever but um, you know it's it's your choice, and uh, but I, I kind of think that this is a worthwhile ministry, and that um, I do help to educate people so that they know what's going on in the world, and and I try to look for the little idiosyncrasies that are way out there in the corners that nobody's looking at right now. So anyway, I'm not going to waste any more of your time. Hey, <clears throat> thank you so much for being with me today, and um, for sharing these videos with me, and. And um, and even that book that that guy um, what was it again? Uh, Saviors of the Earth by Dr. Michael Kaufman. There's only two two left, folks, on Amazon. So uh, hopefully I'll get my hands on one, and you guys will snatch them out from under me. But it looks like a good read, and um, basically it's prophetic because everything that the guy talked about is happening today. So, all right, folks. Well, as usual, may Yahweh bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you, that beautiful face, and be gracious unto you. May he watch your going out and your coming in. 
you're rising up, you're lying down, you're driving down the street, you're sitting at work, you're sitting at home watching TV with your family or by yourself. May he watch over you. May he bring you rising up and lying down. Okay, may he bring you the peace that passes all understanding. And not if you don't know him, I pray that you come to know him. Because nobody comes to the Son except the Father draw him. So if you're getting that urge within you, that means the Father's drawing you to come to Yeshua. So think about that, okay? Many have come, but few are chosen, Scripture says. Okay? I can't remember where it says that, but it does. And um, so we just want, I just want you, I'm frozen again. I just want everyone to live out their destiny the way that God meant it to be, the way that Yahweh meant it to be. And if he meant for you to follow him, then it's going to happen sooner or later. So you just cave in and give in to him, okay? <laughs> I did many years ago, 42 years or 43 years ago, I think now. And it's been the best life I've ever had. I'd probably be dead or strung out on drugs if it wasn't for him. So... And I just want you to have that. And if you're having a good life already, it's not going to last forever. So consider coming to him anyway. Okay. All right, folks. I'm going to bid you fair ado, and I'll see you again on Thursday. Uh, this will not be a Brian Thursday. It's his Thursday off. So um, we'll go from there. Okay. God bless. Love you guys.